so many people feel like an underdog. But what if I told you that being an underdog could be one of the greatest unfair advantages that you have? Welcome to the Dean Graziosi Show. All success starts right here. So today, I want to talk about something that's been on my mind a lot. Something I think is an advantage, but I'm not sure most of the world does. So I would love for you to have an open mind today. I would love for you to um, maybe look through a different set of glasses that you've never looked through before. Like these new glasses allow you to see these opportunities, these shifts, because here's what I know. There are gonna be some things through my month after month training that you're with me that you've already heard. Maybe you've already read a book on, or you went to a live event and somebody taught it. But what I'm hoping to be is the person who finally gets you to implement it into your life. Maybe it's the first time you heard it in the way I describe it. Maybe it's the first time you said, wow, it makes more sense than it ever had before. And these are the steps I'm gonna take to get them into my life. And that's what I'm hoping because so many people are looking for a new wealth vehicle. So again, I, I, before I digress there for a second, I've been really thinking about this a lot, a lot now more than ever before in my life on how we're, let's just say your growth vehicle is your current job or your current business or your current, whatever it is that makes you money. And let's look at it as a vehicle. There's dollar signs on the side. I'm visual. So you got your current vehicle you're in, there's dollar signs on the side and you want that business to make you more money, or you're in that wealth vehicle, that job, maybe that business that's kind of eh, doing okay, and you're looking around at all the other cars, like, wow, that one's shinier, that one looks faster, that one's more silver, that one's brighter, that one's easier. And a lot of times, people will go through life jumping from one wealth vehicle to another, and go, oh, I'm out of that, the hell with that job, that was terrible, got this new job. And then six months later, it's like, nah, it's not really working. What's, let me look. Oh, there's another one. And you go, I'm going to start my own online business. And you jump and you throw that old job away, that old car, you trash it, you get it squashed and you're in the new one. Okay, I'm going to do online, make money online. Then you drive in this one for a while and you dabble and you try a little bit and that really doesn't work out either. In fact, now you're starting to stress out because you're not making money and you start looking around and go, maybe it should be real estate. And you jump out of that vehicle and you go another, you get the point. I don't mean to go on too long, but I really want to make the point is it is so important to have the right wealth vehicle, but what's more important is to go upstream and make sure you have the success rituals, the success rules, the success habits to make those companies flourish. In so many cases, people think that the next magic money machine, the next vehicle will be the one that takes them off into the sunset and allows them to live a life of prosperity and wealth and abundance and joy and doesn't. And that's what I obsess. That's why you're here. That's why you're a part of my inner circle. That's why I have masterminds that I love. I've learned more in masterminds than any other one thing ever. And now you have the opportunity to, to pick my brain, to learn from my mistakes, to learn from my successes, to learn from my trial and error. So let's get started. Today, we are going to um, talk about the underdog advantage, as I like to call it the underdog advantage. What does that mean? In some way, shape, or form, have you ever felt like the underdog? Have you ever felt like the cards were stacked against you? You didn't have the money. You don't live in the right area. You don't have a supportive boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, parents, siblings. Um, 
You don't have the education other people have. You don't have a partner with a bunch of money. Because here's what I know. I've, I've been blessed to have thousands of people work in my companies and my, under my brands. Um, I've read tens of thousands of posts in my life of my students, like the post you're doing right now, or you go to Facebook or Instagram, we get thousands and thousands and thousands of posts or messages every single week. And I obsessively read them because I want to know what you need from me. I want to serve you to the best of my ability. If I don't do that research, then I'm not, then why would you follow me? Right? So I read that and I realize so many people feel that they're an underdog. In fact, I even had someone say, um, you understand, Dean, you str- you had a lot of struggles as a kid. You didn't have money. You, you were stressed. You, you didn't have lunch money. So life was so painful when you were a kid. You have this desire for more. He goes, I have an unfair, I have a disadvantage because my parents were so good. They sent me to the great college. They paid for it. He's like, I, I didn't really need to fight for anything. And now I don't have that. His life was so good. He felt like an underdog. So many people feel like an underdog. But what if I told you that being an underdog could be one of the greatest unfair advantages that you have, all with a shift of how you frame it. And that's what we're gonna cover today. We're gonna cover five points, what I believe are the underdog advantage. And I'm gonna back up and and share this one more time. That um, if someone asked me, in fact, someone did, um, someone asked me if I was going to run into my 21-year-old self. It was on a podcast and it was live. He said, if you ran into your 21-year-old self and you had advice to give your younger version, what would it be? And I thought for a moment, because I'd never been asked that question. And I thought and I thought and I realized that I would say that your thoughts lie to you. Don't trust your thoughts, observe them, prove them wrong and change them. Because your next level of income, your next level of life, happiness, joy, and abundance, what's standing between you and that next level is, in most cases, the story you tell yourself on why you can't have it. Now, if I, I want to frame that thinking. We're going to get into the underdog advantages, but I really want you to think, if I said to you right now, in two years from now, I believe, and this is just, I'm throwing a number out randomly, but if I said in two years from now, you have complete freedom, you have the success you want in your life, whether that's making a million dollars a year, whether that's being a stay-at-home mom, a stay-at-home dad, coaching Little League, spending more time with family, whatever success means to you, if I said to you in, in two years from now, you could have been making a million dollars a year. If you said, I could be making a million dollars a year, but... Whatever that but is, is usually that story. But I don't have money. But nobody supports me. But my family's not supportive or my, uh, it, I don't have the right education or it's not the right time. But with this president who's crazy, it's like whatever that but is, is your story. And that story will dictate where it is that you're going to go with your life and your income over the next couple of years. So with that, Let's get to the underdog advantage and start thinking about how you can turn something that could be a negative, you might frame as a negative, and actually could be the wind behind your sail. So, number one of the underdog advantages, the power of you can't. Now, let's just think about that. When you're an underdog, meaning, I'm going to give you an example in my life. 
When you're an underdog, so many people say to you, oh my God, stop being a dreamer. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you, it takes money to make money. Hey, let me ask you, have you ever had an idea? Like you think of an invention, like I, I'm gonna create this widget that's gonna help moms or new moms, or I'm gonna create this thing that allows your car to do X, Y, Z, or this app that's gonna be amazing, or this something, something, something. And you tell some people, and they say to you, oh, it's a great idea, but somebody probably already did it. Or, oh, to get on TV, you need so much money. Or, you need how to be a producer. Or, you need to take lessons on how to be good on camera. Or, oh my God, you got to trademark it. You got to get a patent. That's going to take years. Do you have money for an attorney? So, people are looking at you like the underdog. And they're just taking their, projecting their own thoughts and telling you that you can't. Now, here's the cool part is because of the change of story, the change of your thoughts, the change of framing how things are positioned, you could say, they're right. I can't do it. And did you ever have that invention and then you tuck those thoughts down and then a year later, someone else has the app, someone else has the invention, someone else has that idea, they're on TV making a gazillion dollars. Why didn't you do it? Because maybe people telling you you can't was the anchor. But what if we made that the wind behind our sail? Now let's think about this. I'm going to tell you a story. I wrote a book. My first book ever was called Totally Fulfilled. Totally Fulfilled was a passion of mine because I had been teaching real estate for a long time. And what I realized is when I sat in customer service or I talked to people that weren't making money yet in real estate, I found out that a lot of times, most every time, it had nothing to do with the real estate education that I was teaching at the time. It would be like, my spouse doesn't support me. I, I don't think I have the money. My, my boss is paying us. I don't have the time. All these excuses, except for the one that they really wanted. They wanted this next level, but they weren't actually doing it. So I said, how can I obsess? How can I learn? How can I dig down and climb inside their head and help people have the tool to have momentum, right? So... I decide, I decide I'm going to write a, uh, a personal growth book. Now, when I look at that book, when I look at that book uh, now, I, um, I, uh, I wish that uh, I would have waited longer. That's why I wrote Millionaire Success Habits. I look at it now, you know how we all grow. That was 10 years ago I wrote that book. But let me just tell you the power of you can't. I wrote that book, first book I ever read. I had dyslexia. I'm not a good writer. That's a story. I don't know if I should write a book. I'm not that good. I, I don't know if I should write a book. I barely graduated high school. I don't know if I should write a book. My grammar is horrible. I don't know if I should write a book. That's what smart people do. I don't know if I should. I had all of these beliefs, but I said the hell with it. I'm just going to write it. So I write this book. I write totally fulfilled. I get done with it. I'm like, I think this is a great book. And I, I go out and I hire what I believe I, I heard is the best editor to clean it up. So I send it to her. She lives in Virginia. I fly all the way to Virginia. I sit with her. I go over it. She says, okay, give me two weeks. She calls me three days later. I'm like, oh, I didn't think I was going to hear from her for three weeks. Two days later, she said, Dean, I got to be honest with you. I can't edit this book. I'm like, why? And she said, I know you told me some of your insecurities and it kind of shines through. This isn't a book. It's a 250-page conversation. It is so far off. It doesn't need an editor. It needs a real writer. It needs a complete rewrite. Like, wow. Felt like the underdog. As soon as I hung up, I'm like, what is wrong with me? Why would I try to... This is the stories that started. I'm going to show you the difference between the anchor and the wind behind your sail. 
the anchor sunk in for the first couple of days. I'm like, why did you think you could write a book? Oh my God, I'm not that smart. And then I literally at the time I had just met Joel Osteen, I think at the time, and I popped open his book and I read like five pages. I'm like, now that's what a writer does. That was good. Mine does stink. And, 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 and oh God, what? and I had all these beliefs. And at that moment, think of that pivotal, pivotal moment. God, I couldn't think. The pivotal moment in my life. Anchor or win behind the sale. Underdog, poor me. Underdog, advantage. It's no good. It doesn't read right. And all of a sudden, I went two days of thinking all those stories. And I said, literally, on the third day, I woke up. I said, no. And I switched it to an advantage. I didn't know I was doing this. I'm sharing you in hindsight. But I switched it. And I'm like, no, she wants to say that I can't write. Yeah. In fact, I don't even want to fix the grammar. This is how I talk. The book is written like a 250-page conversation. If you read Millionaire Success Habits, you know how I write. I write the way I talk. I think it's conversational. I think that's why Millionaire Success Habits were over 350,000 copies. It's one of the best-selling books in the last 12 months. Let someone critique that now. What's it, one-tenth of one percent? sell over 250,000 copies. And I did that because it's the same. I, I, millionaires are, are totally fulfilled. Totally fulfilled. I, I've evolved a little. But anyway, I get this feeling and I'm like, I'm going to show everybody what I'm made of. She thinks that this book isn't going to be a, a bestseller. Watch how many books this sells. And I started taking the power of you can't and said, really? You don't think I can? And I found this fuel. I can't tell you. Nothing changed. She still thought the book was shit. I never wrote a book before. I, wa- I did have dyslexia. I was in special reading. All those factors were the same. You know what changed? The only thing that changed was my perception. I turned the underdog unfairness to the underdog advantage and I started being empowered. Three days later, four days later, five days later, the power started to build. The, the, the thoughts started to build. And I, I, I'm like, literally, I was out of my mind. I'm like, no, this book is going to break barriers because everybody else wants to make it perfect. I'm just going to create a conversation. And the momentum started to build. I hired another editor. And I said, do me a favor. Just clean this up to make it look like I don't look too dumb, but let my words shine through. I don't care if they're perfect. I don't care if I have a vast vocabulary. Just do it. They cleaned that book up. I got a publishing deal and the book hit the New York Times bestseller list within two weeks. It was my first book and it hit the New York Times bestseller list. What if I look back? I've had a million of those. By the way, if you heard that story before, I've shared that on stage before. But what if, what if at that moment and many other moments did I feel like the underdog and just tuck my tail between my legs and go, yeah, they're right. No, I found a way to take the power of you can't and go, really? You don't think I can? And show and shifted it. So now what I want you to think about is when people come at you and tell you can't, you're too small, you're not rich enough, you didn't go to the right school, that's for dreamers, it's not the right economy, you're someone that should work for somebody, play it safe, play it small, tuck your life in is what they're basically saying. I want you to start thinking now, just flip the framework, literally. Think of the words, flip the framework. Instead of it framing you down, I want you to think instead of it being kryptonite, it is the wind behind your sail. It's your motivation. It is the nitrous oxide because I have literally programmed my my life, my brains, my thoughts. When people say that won't work internally, you know the two voices we have? Think about the two voices. Did you ever... If you don't think you have two voices, if you think I'm schizo, sorry, but we all have two voices. 
I'll give you an example. Do you ever have a friend and you go to dinner and they show up and it's supposed to be fancy and they show up with like sneakers on and like dressed horrible or weird colors and you're in your head you're like, hey, what's up? And your thoughts going, why the hell would you wear that? Or anything or, or sitting with your spouse and they say something or, or a friend and they say something like, oh yeah, that's great. And in your head you're like, that was the stupidest thing. Why would you say that, right? I'm giving you an example. We have two thoughts. Right now, I have a thought in my head when somebody says, that's not going to work. Oh, now too many people have that. Oh, Facebook marketing, that won't work. Oh, Barnes & Noble, did you know that less than 5% of the books in Barnes & Noble sell more than 100 copies? Somebody said that to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. That's I feel bad for a lot of authors. They work so hard. Simultaneously, in my head, I'm like, did you just tell me I can't? Did you just tell me? And I could literally feel vibration. I could feel energy. I could feel momentum. I'm like, so I have reframed, reprogrammed my thoughts that when someone says they can't, that is my power. That's not my kryptonite. You're juicing me up. Tell me more. Tell me how many times that a guy that can't write good can't have a mult. Now I have multiple New York Times bestsellers. Sold over a million books. Come on. I'm using that as one example, but I'm telling you, it happened when I was a kid and I wanted to go into real estate and I didn't have money and everybody around me, my friends, family said, come on, you know, it takes money to make money in real estate. I made it happen because they told me they can't. So in your life, has anybody ever told you you can't and how do you flip that around? That's the first one. Now, these are brand new. I, I've been thinking through this um, unfair, I've been thinking through this underdog advantage process a lot lately. And my inner circle members are really getting, you're the first ones where I'm kind of talking this into life. I'm teaching it, talking it into life. This helps me as much as it helps you because it'll help me go deeper on new books, go deeper on my training because that's my life. This is my life now. My life is to go out there, forge new paths, figure out what works, come back and share it with you and my high level mastermind group. So I'm so happy to have you guys here. Okay, number two of the unfair advantages. Number two is they never see you coming. You're always underestimated. Here's what I've come to, to love. Ready for this? I know there's some great people, uh, some great business people that tell you, and I'm not saying it's wrong. Believe me, believe me, but I'm telling you, this is me. And I don't want to talk too much about me, but it's the only way I can lead through example. I, at this phase of my life, I love being underestimated more than anything. I love, I don't know if you guys have known the last couple of years, all I wear is t-shirts. By the way, this isn't one t-shirt. I have like 20 of these and I have like five colors and 20 of these shirts. I used to, I feel blessed. I had a partner that we did really great business together, real estate and a whole bunch of other stuff. And he was a watch person and he bought me some of the most amazing watches on the planet. Watches. I mean, I had a watch on yesterday. It was almost $50,000 or 42,000 bucks, something crazy. I would never spend that for a watch. Even if I had 17 gazillion dollars, but I had on yesterday, it was the first time I had a watch on in almost two years. I'm in this place in my life where I want to be underestimated. It makes life easier because it empowers me. I found a way. I, I know some people teach, you know, perfect suit, dress sharp, pointy shoes, shiny. I own all that stuff. And maybe in six months from now, a year, I'll go through that phase. But where I'm at right now is I like to be underestimated because they never see me coming. I've had big multi-million dollar companies with board of directors and CEOs Look at my, you know, I run my companies, I own my companies, I have about 13 companies, I run them, and I know for a fact some of them are like, that, that, they won't get to us because we're a big conglomerate, and I love that, and they never see me coming, and I drive right past them like I have nitrous, and they're dragging concrete blocks behind their car. I love that, but let me give you an example. I want to give you this, and I want to give you as many examples as I can today because I want you to frame this in your whole life. Like, I want you to think about 
well, they don't think I can do it. Instead of, oh, they don't think I can. I'm nervous about saying what's on my mind. I'm nervous about asking the partnership. No, if they don't think you can use that as fuel. I love when people look at me like, who's this guy? Does he know? Like, again, framework, flip the framework. So example, conference room. Now I could, I could uh, share an exact scenario here. Um, I wrote down conference room story that I want to share with you, but let's just think about this. In every single negotiation I go into, everything. You know what I love more than anything? I love when everybody's dressed in suits and dressed sharp. And I love people who dress nice. I love to dress nice when I go out. But if I'm going into a really important meeting, the more important the meeting, I, I just closed a $14 million deal, I don't know, six months ago. And I wore this t-shirt, not this exact one, but one just like it, a pair of jeans and some Nikes literally at the deal on purpose. But I want to tell you, so here's what I like. Let's, you, I want you to visualize a conference room. I close a lot of deals in this phase of my life, a lot of, a lot of partnerships. I'm buying into a couple companies right now and I love negotiating. I love to make it a win-win for everybody. Never looking to take advantage of anybody ever. But here's what I know. I love going in and everybody's dressed to the nines, a couple attorneys, right? couple CEO, everybody's dressed nice. I like walking in like this because I know at first they're like, and get the memo is when you're supposed to dress up. And then secondly, I like the fact um, that I don't wear a watch. Uh, that helps me in my, my loving being underestimated. And then third, I never talk when I first go in. I introduce myself and I sit and I let, and especially, listen, I'm not, I'm a dude. I'm a guy. I love being, I, I have testosterone. I, I'm a driver. I'm enthusiastic. I love closing deals. I love winning as long as it's a win for everybody. But what I've come to realize is most men especially like want to come in and just vomit up everything they're all about and what they want. Hey, listen, this deal, I want to tell you, I'm going to go first. We've been doing this for 14 years. We've compiled this together and this is what I want. This is what we could do. We could take the numbers to do. And I just sit and listen and just sit and listen. And I even get to the point where it's uncomfortable, especially if someone's trying to sell me or I want to buy from them. If I get to the point where I don't ask many questions or don't talk, I can feel they're underestimating me like in their head they're doing one of two things they're like everybody said this guy was smart he shows up in a t-shirt and he hasn't said two words but what happens is that uncomfortableness or that underestimating you what happens is people just continue to talk and here's what I know a couple strategic questions like so I don't understand if we did this deal what would that look like in a year from now that's like maybe I say that 15 minutes in or and if this was a complete win and we were celebrating a year from now, what do you think that would look like? Like the silly questions, like the old Columbo questions. You ever watch that old uh, show Columbo on TV? My whole point is what'll happen is because they underestimate me, because they're uncomfortable because I haven't said much, or maybe they think I'm an idiot, they start to talk about the things that I'm using as my fuel. They start telling you what their desires are, what their fears are. People will get to, you know, if I don't close this, I'm not gonna get the promotion. If we don't close this deal, we really don't have the cash flow to get to the next level. If I don't close this deal, and people just talk and talk and talk. And then I come in at the end and being underestimated all of a sudden flips when I close the deal in about five minutes. When I go, because I accumulate all this, I, I know your fears, I know your worries, I know your desires, I know your dreams, and the cool part is I don't use it unfairly. I wanna make fair deals for everybody, but someone else is being unfair and I need to get them where they are, I will win every time because I walked in and I was underestimated and I listened and I listened and I accumulated and when I regurgitate it back, it's a win. I want you to think about that. Where are you underestimated? Where 
do they not see you coming? Where could you jump in a company, jump in a business, ramp up your real estate, do things? Don't, don't feel like, here's the thing. I hate when people say what they're going to do. I love when they just show me. Be that person that just shows people. Have that, I love the word quiet confidence. Like, you don't have to wear the, I mean, if you love it, that's great, but you don't have to wear the Rolex and drive the Rolls Royce to be successful. Success could mean anything you want. You got two million bucks in the bank or whatever that number is, or you get to retire your wife or help your parents out or be with your kids more. That's success. Let that fuel this. Again, why am I going so deep on this? Because especially in the last year of being around so many people around the world, I know we all feel like an underdog and I did my whole life. And now I look back and I, I thank God I was the underdog. I do. I thank God that things didn't go my way because I had to find new ways. I had to transform those feelings that were anchors into gasoline. Okay, number three, innovation is a must. Underdog advantage number three, innovation. Think about that. You see, I don't know how to, I don't know how to start a company that's not making money and raise a whole bunch of capital and use other people's money to see if you make it work. Now, I'm not knocking that at all. It's because I'm, I'm limited on my uh, 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 you know, knowledge on that. That's it. I'm just not smart enough to know how to do it. And I, I have so many friends that are in Silicon Valley and everybody's fighting to come up with the next thing, the next widget, the next app, the next Facebook, the next Instagram. They're fighting for that. And a lot of these companies will go raise 20, 30, 50 million. Some of them raise 400 million before they've made a dollar, before they've made a penny. And then I look at, you know, if now, again, I'm not knocking this. I don't want to seem like I'm bitter. I, I have so many successful friends that their families were successful and they just carried it on. That's what I want with my kids. I just want my, I don't want to have to make my kids suffer. I want to teach them the right value so they take on what I've done and start off where I left off, right? But just think about if everything went smooth. You weren't an underdog. Nothing went wrong in your childhood. Perfect parents, perfect income, perfect location. Then you went to the perfect college. And then when you got out of the perfect college, you had the money to start a company. I've watched this happen. Sometimes when you have money to start a company, you're setting yourself up for failure because you don't need it to cash flow. So I'm going to use this one example, this one thought process is every company I've ever started. I sold firewood in high school, fixed wreck cars out of high school, fixed wreck cars for business, fixed wreck cars to sell. And then I had, to, then I started buying rundown houses and remodeling them and putting apartments in them. And then I started subdividing land and building houses. And then I went in the education business and then the book business and the live event business. And then, you know, sharing now in masterminds and trainings like this, right? As I went through all those companies, never once. And any of them, did anyone ever give me money to start? So guess what I had to be? Unfair advantage number three, I had to be innovative. I had to create cash flow, profitable companies. So now what you could say is, oh man, I have nobody in my family that's got money. I have nobody that's got faith in me to lend me money. I can't get any money from the bank. Damn it, I can't go in business. Or you can say, hmm, I have no money. Banks won't give me money. I have no friends that'll lend it to me, no partners. I gotta be innovative. I gotta find ways to cash flow right away. My company's cash flow 
two weeks, three weeks into the company because I have to. That's how I grow everything. But that started because I was a broke kid with nothing. Now I know no other way. I'm going to launch two new companies you'll see over the next six months. going to blow your mind. One partner with a great dude in, in the fitness world and something else that I, I such a, I got to wait and tell you when it's, when it's done. But both of those companies, I could fund both of them with millions of dollars, just being honest. I'm not. I'm using the same model, that same innovativeness, that, that's the word, the, being innovative, coming up with unique ways to say, no, 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 I'm not one of those guys that's going to run a company for five years and get a great evaluation. Hope this, I don't know how to do that. I was an underdog with nothing and I had to use that to my advantage and that advantage turned it into, I had to be, find a way to be, in, uh, to, to be innovative, I keep using that word, to be cash flow right away or I would be broke. So now, take that underdog disadvantage and make it your underdog advantage. You don't have money and if you don't think you can make something work without using money, then Google people that have. Google Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, me, any, so many successful people started with nothing. I know, I know you might be facing stuff that I don't even know about. I get that. But here's what I know. Did you ever have a headache and you go online and you Google for what could this headache be? And by the time you're done, you feel like you got a tumor and you got three months to live, right? We find what we were looking for. If you went online with a headache and wanted to search for someone that said, ah, you just didn't have enough water, drink a glass, you'll be fine. You could find that in two minutes. But our brains want to go towards the tumor and what could be worst case scenario. So we do that in our own lives. Like, I don't have any money. Look, my friend tried with no money. It didn't work. You're just searching for what went wrong. Your subconscious is looking for security so you can feel safe about your inaction. Get disturbed. Get uncomfortable. Go online and Google and find successful people who started with nothing, that had massive fear, that were scared. And all of a sudden, you'll see all these people, all these millionaires, all these much, much, great, you know, hugely successful people that started with nothing. And all of a sudden, you start building momentum. And then you say, I'm going to create innovation here. I'm going to create cash flow. We're talking about business, but could that be the same in every area of your life? Of course it can. So think of the unfair advantage we have of being an underdog because we get to be creative. That was number three. Okay, number four. Unfair underdog advantage number four. Enthusiasm over perfection. I want you to think about that. Enthusiasm over perfection. Now, I told you before about the books, but I'll tell you in life, I don't have a vast vocabulary and I can't spell for crap. I've spelled so bad that literally when I type, there's so many words lit up. It's like every third word is lit up. And sometimes the words, I try to respell them like four times. And if the computer could talk, it'd be like, yo, bro, I don't know what you're doing. Try something else. Or you're an idiot. I don't know. I'm glad it can't talk to me and I'll just come up with a simpler word. I don't have a vast vocabulary. I'm not the smartest guy in the room when it comes to Booksmart. I don't watch the news. I have no idea what's going on around the world. I don't. Clueless. People come up and like, well, you know what happened with, with you know, Trump, or you know what happened in South America, or you know what, I'm like, I don't, I don't. I haven't watched the news in probably over 10 years. All it does is bring me down. I don't want to, I protect my confidence, so I don't watch the news. I didn't have a lot of experience in these new companies. When somebody says, you're going to write a book, or you're going to go on stage, hey, people say to me, I'm, you know, I'm going to go on stage, and somebody say, have you, did you take journalism in school? Did you go to college for that? Like, did you train under a mentor? No, 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 no experience. 
And most of the times, like I said on the last one, I had no money. So here's what I know. Sometimes when you have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, you're obsessing on perfection. You're obsessing on the details. You're overanalyzing so much that it's causing you to be paralyzed and do nothing. Being an underdog, you're starting to wear this as a badge of honor, right? Did you feel that? I don't know if you did. I just, the way I said it, I felt it internally. Like, I want someone to go, I want to have a, a shirt that says, I'm an underdog, right? Where I overcame things going where I didn't have the money or the vocabulary or I didn't have the super smarts or the money or the experience, I masked with enthusiasm. And if you look at underdog stories from the movies, right, from the horse races and, and the Olympics and the games that shouldn't have been won, before they let American athletes that were professionals play in the Olympics, you might know this story, you probably know it better than me, you guys can tell me, it was just college kids. And at the last minute, they just round up these college kids to play against the world's best hockey players in the world and America won. Biggest underdog upset. But one thing I noticed, what did they have? They were enthusiastic as shit, for lack of a better word. I remember watching the Russian team, like just no enthusiasm, just like, I'm not gonna try to talk with a Russian accent. I was almost did, but I'm not even gonna try. But I remember like they were just like, these guys, they're not gonna have any chance with us. No enthusiasm, just thinking they were gonna do it. And then all of a sudden, the enthusiasm to me helped carry that team to win the Olympics. It was the biggest upset ever. But think of basketball games. Think of horse races, Olympics. In your own life, when you were the underdog, what carried me wasn't the book smart, wasn't the money, wasn't the experience, wasn't the vocabulary, surely wasn't the connections. I knew no one with money when I was a kid. You know what carried me? Enthusiasm. I just found a way to turn this. I can be the underdog with the anchor carrying it, dragging it across the desert, or I could say, I'm a freaking underdog. They are never gonna see me coming. They told me they can't, watch what I do. Oh, I don't have money? I'll just get innovative. I'll find a way to get the money. I'll get the money. And that led to this enthusiasm that drove me. I mean, think about this. I hope you follow me because I share incredible wisdom, knowledge, and capabilities. But if I shared the same exact thing every month, when you showed up here live or you're watching this as a replay, if I said, today, we're gonna to talk about the underdog advantage on how you can use the things that people think hurt you and use them in a way to position yourself for wealth and abundance. I'd like to start with number one. You guys would be done with me in five minutes. Five minutes, you would be done, out. I don't care how good the wisdom was. It's because I hope that you see this is authentic enthusiasm, but if I really boil it back down, it, it came out because I was an underdog. I didn't have all the other stuff. So I had to go to the thing where that boosted my confidence and got results, and that was having enthusiasm. Number five. Now, I'm going to create a lot more uh, underdog advantages. I've been thinking through these, as you could tell, um, but there's I want to make it ten uh, total, but today we're going to cover five. And... Here's one that you might not think is an underdog advantage, is transform heartbreak into your leverage. Hmm. So as an underdog, your parents or your friends may not have faith in you or support you. And that's heartbreaking. Did you ever have a just like you watched me one day, you read my book or somebody else, or you saw something online or you got involved in my real estate course and you're like, 
damn, I'm doing this. And you're, 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 you're using the power of you can't, you don't even know you are. You're, 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 you're being innovative. You're enthusiastic. And you go tell the person you care about the most. And they shut you down like a lid, just like, like shutting off lights. It's like, oh, that's so dumb. This is the wrong time. You don't have the money. And they shut you down. That's heartbreaking. Also, I've watched so many people when they have a desire for more. If you're watching me, you're someone who's working on your personal growth. You're working on your success. You want another level of life. You realize one of the biggest plights of our world is living knowing you have untapped potential. It's the worst feeling in the world. You know you got more gas in the tank, but you're not putting the throttle down because people are telling you and you can't. I just told my daughter, I stole this from Sean Stevenson, my the three foot giant, my dear friend. He said, don't anyone, don't ever let anyone dim your glow so you can match them. You're bright. Be like, nah, nah, nah. And a lot of times we turn down our light so we can match that. Screw that. Brighten yours up more. Have you ever been in a relationship? Could be family, friends, partnership, or significant other. You're in a relationship. You, because you're here, there's a million other things you could be doing. You're here with me. You're working on your personal growth. You are. Your success, abundance. You want to tap into that next level, not leave it. Don't die at 98 years old and go, wow, I had a lot more to give the world, but I didn't. Oh my God, did you feel that? Screw that. I want to be like, nothing left. I'm done. Time to go. Nothing left. But think about this. You're working on your personal growth. You start with somebody here. They are at this level, but they decide this is a perfect level for them. And all of a sudden, you're continuing to work on your personal growth and you're going higher and you're going higher. And now they're saying, oh, stop. You're getting all foo-foo. Oh, you're too. Oh my God. What are you going to go to a Tony Robbins event and jump up and down? You're going to go to a Dean Graziosi growth event and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you're going and on going and going and you get to a point and they're like, oh my God, we've grown apart. And somebody leaves you or someone calls you, tells you that you're a dreamer or you're no good. I've watched it happen so many times with people who desire another level of life because the people around you want to stay status quo and you make them uncomfortable. So heartbreak is pretty high in this world, in this world of growing, of going to the next level. And that's okay because that's the way it's supposed to be. I believe God, the universe, whatever, designed it that way because they're meant to be with these people and you're meant to be with us. It doesn't mean you have to hurt anybody along the way, but there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of heartbreak. So what I noticed with underdogs who spin it into a win is they take that heartbreak from any area, from parents, from a a relationship, from a marriage to a bad partnership. They take that heartbreak and they ball it back up, poof, and use it as energy. So they transform heartbreak into leverage, heartbreak into energy, heartbreak into success. Now, maybe I'm completely off. Maybe no one on here has ever had any heartbreak and I'm totally off. No one in here has ever felt like they were growing and the person alongside them was staying still and it felt uncomfortable. If if that's the case, I'm sorry, I'm completely wrong. But I bet to say it's over 75% of the people that are watching me right now, maybe even more. I want you, this is just really powerful because I have a dear friend here in Phoenix, Arizona named John Langbein and John is Super successful, great guy, love him, amazing dad. Uh, he's probably one of the, I have, I have friends that I've had forever, but out here in Phoenix, he's like my dearest friend here in Phoenix, outside my work relationship. Got great working relationships, but friends. So John's got a great company. I'll tell you a little bit more and more about that. He was the underdog. John grew up in a family, I think, of six or seven, and he was somewhere in the middle. They lived in a three-bedroom, one-bath house and had no money. 
and the car, like literally some people would get left home because they had one car and he said he'd go out and sit in the car like in the winter with a snowmobile suit on like an hour before so he could get in because he'd make sure he'd make it if they were going to the mall or going to the movies. Like last kids that didn't make the car didn't go to the movies or go to the mall on their once a quarter trip to the movies. Everything that you could imagine on John was set up for him to fail. Now all his siblings, great people, but they all worked for like the post office in this little town where he grew up or for the county. And none of them ever did anything more than what maybe their parents did. And again, that, that has no disrespect. But why John break out? Why does John have a company that does over $100 million? And why is John successful? Because he found a way to turn being an underdog to his advantage. He got through school the best he could and got down to ASU when he was older, paying his own way through ASU. And he takes a trip to New York one day and I just want to tell you how underdogs can think and how you can create exponential growth compared to the people along the way that don't. I know this, maybe it doesn't tie in, but I thought this is a really inspirational uh, story and I thought you could get a lot of value out of it. So John goes to New York City and he sees that they're selling these fake Rolexes on the street for like 75 bucks. And he's like, oh my God, they're amazing. He buys like 10 of them. He's in Arizona State University and here in Phoenix, Arizona, he goes back. And he sells all of them for like 150 bucks, just like that. So now he realizes he didn't have money. He's the underdog, but he did everything here. The power of you can't. He went and talked to his best friend. He goes, oh, that won't work. And you need money to make money. Everybody told him they couldn't. People never saw him coming because this, he saw where he come from, didn't have money. He was working his ass off to pay for his way, working every day to pay for his way through school. How's he gonna start this business? He had to be innovative because he didn't have the money to go buy a lot of watches. But he found a way to be enthusiastic over it and, of course, transform heartbreak because his family told him he should never even go to college, that he's just wasting his money. So he transformed all that. He goes upstream and he finds the guy that's buying the guy. He didn't have money to buy a lot of watches, but he went to the guy. He went back to New York where he bought these you know, imitation Chinese Rolexes. Uh, um, and people knew they were fake. They weren't trying to be imitation. They were fake Rolexes. They knew it. You buy it for 75 bucks, not five grand. So he goes to the guy and says, listen, I don't have money to buy a lot, but if I gave you a hundred dollar bill right now, would you tell me who you buy these from? Think of the innovation. He didn't have the money, but he wanted to find the supplier. So now he finds the person this guy's buying from and the guy that's selling them for 75, he was buying them for 25. He goes to this guy and says, listen, I got to be honest with you. I think I can move 10 of these a day but I don't have the money. Could you front me just 10? I'll give you the money back. And then as I go, just keep exponentially growing the inventory you want. That guy said, yes. He starts in business now. He's innovative because he's got money coming in and he's growing this crazy business in school of selling pretend Rolexes. And all of a sudden he goes, he sees the opportunity of being innovative on another level. They never saw him coming. He, he goes to a frat house and says, guys, how would you like to all make money selling these Rolexes? Now he's paying 25 bucks or 50 bucks at the time. He takes all of his profit and he goes to the next guy and says, hey, I'm buying you, you're the distributor. How can I, can I give you a thousand bucks and you just give me the name of the person who makes these watches in China? He went all the way upstream and then got them for like 12 bucks. Now he could give the difference and a $50 commission to people selling underneath him. There was a point where he was selling thousands of these Rolexes a week. 
Now, John went on. That was just a temporary business. He stopped doing that. He went on to doing the same kind of transactions with tickets. And now he's one of the largest ticket providers in the world for high-end tickets. You want to go to the Super Bowl. You want to go to World Series. You want to go to the World Cup. Anything you want to do that's a, a big event in sporting, in the sports world, he owns the high-level tickets. He's an incredible guy. But his story just reminds me of he was the underdog. And so were all his siblings. And all of his siblings let being an underdog keep them stuck. Where he found a way to use these five and other ones that we'll be recognizing as his fuel and to never give up. And that's a little inspiration. I know that story maybe didn't match perfectly. But I want to inspire you because he's just a regular guy. I love the guy. And look where he is now. No reason you can't be there. Guys, thank you so much. You're amazing. If you liked this podcast, make sure you rate it. And also, make sure to click subscribe so you never miss out. You can always follow us on Instagram. And if you don't already have Millionaire Success Habits, you can grab it for free at deansfreebook.com. Remember, all success starts here.